Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive, and today a very exciting episode as we speak with Johannes Bergeshausen, a student or a former student at UBC who did uh, worked on a research project called Discounting Humanity. And Johannes's research looks at the impact that discounts have on people and really how people treat each other, which has great ramifications for our brands. Johannes, welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and uh, to talk more about my work on uh, when we dehumanize employees. I wonder uh, if you could tell, tell us a little bit about um, yourself and your path. I know you're at UBC now, but you're on your way uh, back to Europe. Um, yeah, that's, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, so I had the great pleasure of uh, living in Canada for almost five and a half years now. And I'm at the tail end of my uh, graduate school uh, at UBC. And I will join the University of Amsterdam as an assistant professor of marketing in July uh, this year. So that's very soon. Exciting. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. And uh, congratulations. Now, Tell me, the paper was called Discounting Humanity, and I guess I would describe it as kind of the impact that discounts have on our own humanity or our own humanness. How did this, uh, how did this come about or what drew, you interest, what, what drew your interest here? Indeed. So uh, in this project, you're right, the title is a little catchy. We uh, <laughs> really... Um, it, it's like, you know, when you work with really great people, because this is not just my work, uh, one of the biggest pleasures actually coming up with a title that kind of captures what you want to do. And uh, you're right that here we focus on how sort of encountering discounts and then becoming price conscious affects how we perceive others. Um, and I'll talk some more about that in a second. But uh, your question was, how did I or how did we get interested in this? And the way that this project started originally is um, when you look around uh, on the work that uh, other consumer researchers and marketing scholars have done on brand, there's a lot of work on kind of prestige brands, high status brands and whatnot. At the same point, when we just observe the marketplace, both here in Canada as well as in the US and especially in Europe and Asia, you see that there are a lot of low cost, no frill budget brands. And we thought that's really interesting because those those brands are quite unique and different in terms of how they position themselves, but also how they operate um, from uh, those more commonly studied brands, such as both premium brands as well as uh, no, um, private label brands. And that's what really drew our interest in the first place. So was there um, like a theory that you started on thinking that people would... Um, I guess, treat people differently at a discount store than they would at a regular place? Yes. So our initial sort of starting point was this idea that when we shop or when we adopt a price conscious mentality, which could be evoked, for instance, by shopping at a low cost brand or also simply by really through your own volition, focusing on getting the cheapest deal, um, paying the least you can, that this has implications for how we approach our whole experience. And there's this um, sort of more grand theory by someone called Alan Page Fisk, who talks about different ways in which humans relate to each other. And it's this idea that when we adopt what he calls a market pricing logic, we very much construe human interactions through a very homo economicus lens, meaning that we really 
just weight everything by cost-benefit ratios and really look at maximizing our utility. And our idea, initial idea was that this sort of focus really makes you less likely to engage or fully engage with others as human. And that's also what we found across a series of studies. So it's not so much the the location as it's, it's, it's your mindset. You're kind of going, when you're in this low-cost mindset, Absolutely. It's, we call it a mentality, but you're right. It's definitely some form of mindset. And it's literally this focus on just scoring the cheapest deal, being in extremely motivated and almost solely motivated on, for, for, uh, on paying the least you can. And what we do find in our studies is that when we do that, the people that are associated with such offerings, in our case, employees, are actually perceived to be less human. And what we mean by this is that when you look at someone, it's very easy to say you're human, but there's a lot of, there's been a lot of research showing that psychologically this process is actually much more complicated. And what it means to be human um, really depends on two key dimensions. So on the one side, there's this experience um, dimension, which captures your capability to experience pleasure, pain, and emotions. And the second dimension is this idea of agency, which really captures a person's ability to think, plan, and act on their intentions. So when, um, what, how is this, how is this, um, I guess, exhibited or how does this uh, get demonstrated in a typical interaction? So let me answer two ways. So first, one of this, I, I first will answer with one of the studies that we conducted that I really like in this empirical package. And then I talk a little bit more about sort of the consequences and how this might affect employees as well as brands. So one study that we have in, in, um, in this project that I quite like um, and that I think speaks to this notion how this is exhibited is based on review data um, from the airline industry. So basically we scraped more than 2000 reviews from two of the largest uh, European airlines. Actually, they are the two largest European airlines by passengers. One of them is Ryanair, which for the our listeners that might not know it, it's an extreme no-frills budget brand. I don't think we have a, quite a Canadian equivalent, but it would be WestJet on steroids. Yeah. Um, if that's a fair description. And the other one, Lufthansa, is very much a full service brand, maybe slightly above Air Canada in terms of positioning and, and service offered. And what we basically find in that study is that in the reviews where consumers describe their brand experiences, they are less likely to use um, humanizing words in their descriptions of the experiences of Ryanair. And just to give you an idea for what those, those words can be, they include um, a dictionary of more than 100 words, such as friendly, helpful, polite, sympathetic. And the one thing that I think really speaks to where this effect comes from is we find that this brand effect is still there even after we account for the quality differences between the budget brand Ryanair and the non-budget brand um, and the non-budget brand Lufthansa. So um, we're not we're not using those sorts of words. Exactly, and yes, we're not using those sort of words, which speaks to the deeper underlying psychological process here, we fail to fully recognize them. And I think I didn't answer the second part of your question, which was all about how does this then manifest in the marketplace? And we have another study to dig into one of those potential downstream consequences. In that study, we show that when consumers are price conscious, so they really focus in that 
in that particular study, it's it's uh, in a car rental. Uh, uh, setting, they focus on finding the cheapest car versus they try to find the best experience, the most fun uh, to drive car. They actually are more likely to uh, give employees a rating uh, that would put them in trouble. So let me explain that study a little bit more. So we first manipulated how consumers were shopping, so whether they were price conscious or not. The other condition is sort of more experiential. You try to find the best car, and then they engage in a simulated chat interaction with an employee, and that's chat interaction in both conditions, it's dissatisfying. The employee is quite unfriendly and frankly not very helpful. But what we then do subsequently is we ask them to give a rating to the employee and tell that this company has some uh, policies in place, which are actually very similar to what Uber and Lyft uh, do, that if you give them a rating below a certain threshold, then they will come up for disciplinary action. And in that study, we found that basically... Um, people were almost uh, 18% more likely uh, when they were price conscious to give a rating that would have gotten the employee in trouble. Wow. So we're meaner when we're, when we're shopping for, when we're on that kind of mindset or mentality of, of a, looking for the lowest price and the discounts. Exactly. That's what our findings would suggest. So that we, and, and there, there are different ways why this could be. So it could be that we simply think they are not quite human, so they don't experience um, fully pain and pleasure, so I need to punch them harder. Or it could simply be I don't consider them, not fully at least, and because of that I'm also more likely to simply dish out pain because I don't see their pain. Yeah, that's uh, there's so many implications here. I'm, I'm really fascinated. So on... On both sides, um, do you think this correlates to what our our experiences might or our expectations, sorry, might be when um, when we're dealing with a premium brand, even that we would then have a higher expectation? That's a really fascinating question. I don't think that the results of this particular project speak to that, but uh, other works suggest that this indeed might be the case, that you could have what we would uh, technically call more sort of status carryover, such that you walk into, let's say, a premium car dealership, and then you attribute more agency or more competency or potentially also a greater experience capability for experience to the people that are associated with those brands. And I think one of the um, key aspects that I want to point out in terms of implication, especially for um, managers of brands that are positioned as more no frills, low cost brands is that for your employees, if you continue, continuously deal with customers that fail to fully recognize you. This has clear consequences. There's been a lot of other work showing that even, even relatively minor mistreatment by customers, and this is minor, right? This is, not, this is not verbal aggression or anything. It's simply failing to fully recognize that can build up over time. And just imagine you have a customer service employee who's routinely dealing with people who fail to fully recognize them. At some point, this person's going to snap. And that then creates another vicious circle. Yeah, you're in a doom loop. <laughs> exactly. It feels like a doom loop. And I do, in, in fact, actually have other uh, published work on this where we look at the effects of incivility in the marketplace and specifically observing incivility. And what we find there is that generally consumers are actually more considerate to employees who are the... Um, the target of the incivility, so uncivil behavior, rude, condescending behavior by other um, customers. But as soon as the employee re re um, gets back in any form, like 
reprosecates uh, the um, the uncivil behavior or is rude towards the customer. At that point, the next customer line is also going to be mean. And that's what you call the student loop. And that's yeah. really challenging, I think, for employees. And that's a clear um, that's a clear um, area um, where managers need to be aware of and need to think proactively on their feet. What can they do to either equip employees or to maybe make certain adjustment in their operations or service scapes that help employees to better deal with such uh, situations. Do you have any thoughts as to what, um, what, a, what, what a brand could do to, to mitigate that at all? Um, so in this particular project, uh, we did not study um, those potential um, interventions, but one thing that might work in certain situations is actually purposefully reducing the, the human interactions with customers. And there oh, are multiple yeah. ways to do that, right? You could have self-service checkouts or maybe even in the future, robotic checkouts, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like service robots. Because you could say it's too bad if they are rude towards a robot, but the robot at least won't give the pain. So that could be a way to at least de-escalate um, those tensions for some of the employees. How? Yeah, that's that. You make it the super premium, low cost experience. <laughs> exactly, and, and that, that could again have other positive side effects, right? Because you you could also think, oh, I'm actually in this really price conscious, efficiency op, uh, oriented mode, and then you cut that human interaction piece out of it. It could even actually enhance the customer experience. Ironically, do you think that we get that way because we're? Um, uh, shopping for price is, is kind of an aggressive thing and, and we're in a mindset or that we're just not happy with what we're getting or we're trying to get always just never satisfied with how low that price can get. That's fascinating. I, 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 I'm somewhat hesitant to speculate too much. Okay. But I do do, because, because all of them appear plausible at first sight. What I do think happens when we really become this very price conscious um, is that we, I think, simply pay less attention to what's happening around us and mm. becomes this very singular focus. And I think it's more a side effect of this particular mentality rather than this extreme aggression in it. Um, I do agree, however, that there are customers who are almost um, um, compet- Olympic competitors in their hunt for the lowest prices, right? So yeah. I do think there's certainly this competitive element to it, but I don't think that this is necessarily preconditioned to see those negative effects for employees. So would this um, would this transfer to if um, a premium or just an ordinary everyday brand had a regular sale and uh, that that was sort of an event or or anything where where they were attracting customers to that mindset um would that um then would they would they experience that do you think the same same so i i so I will answer with a personal anecdote that happened maybe about a month ago, and um I was shopping with my family um at one of our local malls here, and there was a gap store that was closing down this particular location and when you walked into that store, I just felt like this was my paper in real life. Uh, they had um, uh, or our, our work in real life. And they had basically, I don't, I couldn't even count the number of times they had any posters or signs uh, indicating sale, cheapest percent off. And it was incredible. And I think they were closing 
within 10 days or something. And it was incredible how people were behaving in the stores, both towards the employees as well as um, towards um, as well as towards um, actually the products and the store itself. Um, I've never seen anything like this. And watching this from brand management perspective, you would almost be tempted to uh, tell the gap managers, you know what, just shut down the stores, forget about this maybe 100k you get an extra sale here maybe it's not even that maybe it's just 50k and you you really want to protect your brand because that was that was just shocking um to answer at a more abstract level um i do think that through special um shopping events people become less nice um and and less considerate i mean we just have to look on boxing day sales or thanksgiving black friday um I think there's a lot of evidence out there in the marketplace. And that's maybe also one of the reasons why some of the extremely premium brands, and to give a Canadian example, think of Lululemon, they don't employ a lot of discounts, or at least not a lot of visible discounts. And, and I think that that's, for some brands, is a really important strategy. Because once you go down that path, I think it doesn't have an effect on uh, how consumers perceive your brand, and then also interact with your well, it might explain part of why uh, that affects your brand. Uh, that was going to be my next question. Do you do you know how this might affect a brand? So, you mean how this affects a brand in terms of um, in terms of um, revenue, or also in terms of no, uh, more in of, terms of uh, I guess its own reputation. I see. So perception. So, so I do think it, it, it's a little. It's a little. It's a little bit tricky question in so far that for a low-cost brand, to some extent, you want to really invoke this mentality, right? Because that's at the heart of your value proposition. Yeah. At the same point, you have to, it, it's a thin line to walk. And I think it's, it's probably like everything in life, there's like an optimal point for it. Like you, you can be too extreme on this, on evoking this price consciousness mentality but you also to some extent have to really bring it to the forefront because that's what your brand is about and i do think that there's some low-cost no for brands in the marketplace that do that very well um that really try to hit home this message of you know we are no frills but at the same point we are also human and kind of counteracting that a little bit and um because i mentioned ryanair before um one of its main competitors in Europe, EasyJet, is probably a little more discreet in positioning himself as an offer brand relative to Ryanair and also stating, you know, we also have these positive other attributes or our staff is also human. They're not just some sort of cattle management uh, um, people. Let me ask you, uh, maybe it's a dangerous question, but we did talk about uh, kind of the mentality, but is, do you think, do you think um, this sort of low frills brand attracts a certain kind of person or is this just human nature that we all have this switch where we can go between these different uh, modes? I love this question and thankfully I have a relatively safe answer because, <laughs> um, because we do actually have one study where we simply induce people while holding the actual brand constant to adopt one of the two, um, uh, like either adopt a price conscious mentality or a more experiential control um, mentality. And in that study, we find the exact same thing because 
Um, so that was suggest uh, to directly answer your question that we all have it in us and it's something that can be evoked by situational cues. And that's, by the way, one of the other key insight from our um, work um, which builds on prior research that has really looked at price consciousness uh, more as a person, stable personality trait. And that research generally finds that there are some people, like you said, that are much more price conscious and, and also that this is really a personality trait that doesn't change too much over time. And what we basically add on top of this is, yes, that might be true, but there are also really strong situational triggers such as being in a no-frills environment or maybe having the push from someone else that tells you, you really need to save here, you need to find the cheapest thing, and then we can all become very price conscious. So uh, Johanna says, a human being, what can I do to control myself in these situations or to be more human in these situations? Is there anything that you, you can advise me? Um, I think there's something, and there's something for all of us uh, in terms of how we interact as customers, which is simply sticking to this very simple rule of don't treat another person in a way that you don't want to be treated, right? And that seems to be a very simple takeaway that we can all enact even when we shop at no-frill stores or when we really try to find that extreme bargain. And um, it was a little bit ironic that around the time when the paper actually um, was first published, that was around Christmas, and then th that message felt even stronger, right? Because in, in Christmas season, it's really this idea of this is the season of love. And then comes Boxing Day and forget <laughs> all about that. And that was also good for myself because sometimes when you research something, you're like, oh, I, I'm really not like this. And then you go out for Boxing Day and you realize, oh my God, this is... Nailed it. Uh, yeah, I nailed it. Just like, <laughs> and that's good. And they think if, if we all approach our own, um, our own behavior as consumers like this and be a little bit considerate, not only towards the employees, but also to everybody in that space, even if we had a no programs, I think everybody is better off. And it doesn't really take that much to be maybe moderately friendly or at least not to be completely inconsiderate. For yourself, for your uh, fellow researchers, was there anything that uh, really surprised you? So one thing that I found that I, and I would say we as a team found really um really fascinating is that in our analysis of the review data, um, this effect still holds after we account for the quality differences, even in very close details. So we have one measure uh, in there that actually even captures your satisfaction with the staff during that flight. And we find that even when we enter this, we when we basically account for this other variable, we still have an effect, a residual brand effect that really speaks to this notion of the price conscious mentality. And I do think that this is um, something that really points to the, um, uh, not just the prevalence, but also to the strengths of the effect. And that, that was something that I thought was surprising. I wonder, I mean, it, probably great advice for a brand, don't hold your customer satisfaction survey in conjunction with your sale. That is absolutely right. And I think it's one that, that goes a little bit away from this particular project, but I think it's a really interesting um, other line of uh, work that, that, that has received quite a bit of attention, sort of looking at this heterogeneity in uh, customer satisfaction, depending on when it is actually measured and also 
who served you and um, actually one of my co-authors on this uh, project, he also has other work showing, for instance, other biases that I might um, might get into customer satisfaction ratings such as um, race biases or gender biases, even when holding the actual service constant. Uh, so I think that's generally a question or like an area that managers need to be aware of that also... Um, customer satisfaction scores can be gamed quite a bit, whether for better or worse. So there always need to be multiple metrics to basically evaluate how you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. Do you have any um, uh, advice or thoughts of what uh, for, for brands uh, that um, might be in a discount space or occasionally in a discount space? So... Maybe let's start with the second part. So for the brand that might be occasionally in the discount space, because I think that probably describes most of the farms that operate in the marketplace. I think for those, there are a couple of really important high-level manager questions you want to ask yourself. So first, the question is, how profitable is it for you to actually do, say, this annual sale or this uh, discount? And then the, the second related question is, what are the carryover, the long-term effects of holding such an extreme sale? And not just for your employees, but also for your brand. And I think that, of course, managers, uh, firms, they, they face pressures sometimes to deliver results right in this moment. And then mm-hmm. discounts feel like a good way to go. But especially our results suggest that they also have significant side effects that can sometimes really harm the long-term um, bottom line and maybe even the top line, as I mentioned in the gap example. Because I, after being in that store, in that particular experience, I've been very hesitant to go back because it, I actually updated my brand release and I think a lot of other people that went to the store did the same thing. Yeah, like you said, it definitely has an echo effect on you, yeah. Yeah, and it has the echo effect. And on top, I think the other issue that you might have, you might actually produce more employee uh, turnover, right? Because Mm -hmm. imagine you are in such a store setting and there are frequent discounts. And then all of a sudden, you suddenly see a spike in employees leaving because they don't want to be treated as less human. And then they simply move on to greener pastures. And I do think that that is sometimes um, one thing to consider where you can see, say, you see a spike or you suddenly see more problems in employee retention. And then maybe to actually look at how many sales events did you run? How much more traffic did you have? And then that could actually be something really fascinating for a manager to keep an eye on. And that's actually easily trackable, assuming you have some, some, some data infrastructure in place. Well, now I'm thinking too, I, I used to think, oh, you go to a, uh, a, a store and they're having a sale. And just because uh, the volume of people that, that are there, that's why the store is a mess. But maybe the store is a mess because none of us care anymore about anybody. <laughs> maybe, exactly. It's a, little, it's a little bit, I think it's a bit of both, right? Because we do know that, uh, that there's been a lot of uh, research and marketing showing that indeed store traffic in increases once you're kind of getting to these more extreme sales but uh sort of at the most psychological level it could be a function of both right where a nobody really cares and then (laughs) people who don't care and uh, and that of course doesn't seem like a pretty enticing cocktail yeah yeah sorry and i cut you off you were going to say also about uh, brands that are regularly in a discount mode uh no 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 that's great so that was that was the first part of the question thanks for bringing it back so i do think for those brands it's really about understanding 
what the optimal point of emphasizing the um, the no frills price conscious part of their brand. And then if you say, this is really all my brand is about, you should think about how can I equip my employees to deal with less considerate customers, whether that is through actually having less employees dealing with customers or to training them better, or maybe that could even be a way to compensating them in a better way. Of course, that's difficult if you're a budget brand, but Mm -hmm. there, there could be ways to basically think about this more proactively. And then for the brands that say, you know, being, being low cost, being a discount brand is important, but it's not all that we stand for. For those brands, it's really critical to, um, to really think about the attributes that they want to highlight also in their value proposition, whether that's maybe humor or whether that's a little bit of, um, a little bit of, I don't know what it could be, could be where you're from, could be region, uh, region specific references, nationality, whatever it is. Um, yeah. It's so fascinating. Johannes, thank you so much for uh, sharing your thoughts and your research with us. I know you're in transition now. How, how could people get a hold of you or follow you? So I'm on Twitter. I hope that I give my uh, Twitter handle out correctly. So my last name is extremely long. So it's J-O and then it's my last name, which is B-O-E-G-E-R-S-H-A-U-S-E-N. Uh, hopefully you actually post that in the description. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <I'll post laughs> because that, that, that's a mouthful. So uh, that's, a good, that's, that's a good way to, uh, to, to keep track of what I'm doing. Um, otherwise, uh, also there's my website, which will probably be posted uh, together with, uh, with this uh, podcast, right? Yes, I'll post both of those. Uh, Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. That was a lot of fun. 